Chris Biddle, and this is episode 111, 111. Nelson, if you are a cricket fan, of our new AgriTurf Academy show, which will include a very special invite to listeners. When the first part of his series of The Customer's Always Right, Dan Pratt, founder of the DAP Consultancy, talked about different types of customers, their behaviour, and ways of successfully diffusing difficult situations. But in this episode, Dan says that uh, receiving a complaint could often be looked at as a positive business opportunity and at relatively low cost. He also talks about goodwill gestures, which can often work wonders, and how to practically deal with negative online reviews, which are often unjustified. Now, being understanding sincere, transparent and genuine is the way to go for small family businesses and wherever possible they should empower staff to make instant decisions on their behalf. So there's a lot to come into today's episode but before we do so what about that invite I mentioned at the top of the show? You know I always wanted to say that sounds like a proper broadcaster but anyway to the top of the show. Dan has kindly offered to host a roundtable discussion for a podcast episode with dealers or anybody with a customer-facing role to talk about dealing with difficult or awkward customers. I'm looking for a panel of, say, three people who are having or have had interesting and challenging situations who would like to share their experiences with Dan, the panel, and with our listeners, of course. Now, recording would take about 30 to 40 minutes, and I'm happy to arrange to record after closing hours if it's convenient. And no, no, it's not live. And all the guests would approve the recording before it goes live. Now, if you're interested, I'm posting details on the Dealer Network a Facebook group, and you can DM me there or contact via the email on the show notes to this episode, and I'll get back to you to chat about the format. Now, I know it's not quite like being a guest on BBC's Question Time, but in my experience, dealers have never been backward in coming forward, and it should be a lot of fun. So now, on with the episode. Dan, many thanks for joining me again. I get the feeling, you know, that there is more of a complaining culture today, which has probably increased since uh, COVID. Is that your impression? I think that's the thing. So during lockdown, uh, people had a lot more time on their hands. So were a bit, lot more passionate about the things that would have previously been trivial. And that made a huge impact. Uh, people wanted to, uh, had time to complain, um, had time to follow things up. Um, and now that, that that kind of thing has just been caught with us and has carried on. Um, but COVID is no longer an excuse to be able to provide bad service. I called a company recently and, uh, and I was on hold for a while. And they said during these unprecedented times, we're receiving higher core volumes than normal mm. with skeleton staff, people working from home. Um, so please bear with us. But that's not an excuse um, anymore. Um, it, it, companies have had four years, three years to adapt to this through some of the methods we mentioned in the previous episode about um, being in the right place online and physically and verbally and written in the writing form mm. where possible. Um, but customers, I do believe, um, now are complaining more than they ever did before because it's much quicker and easier to do so they know if they send a tweet and mention your company dozens or millions of people could potentially see that it could be harmful to your company and that takes 30 seconds to do whereas previously 
had to write a letter to CMD or go into the office and do it face-to-face, which um, people can now hide behind a computer. But there again, the sad state of affairs is that's not going to go away. And as we've mentioned, the, the blockbuster or Kodak moment, that, that we do have to now adapt to that. So with social media complaints, for example, the best policy is to take it offline, post of holding response, take it offline, prioritize those customers, um, which they, again, they shouldn't realistically have any more priority than somebody physically there. Uh, but the impact on the business is very different. And I think that's the culture that we're in now. And the same as beforehand, people take a photo of their dinner and post it online. Whereas years ago, you wouldn't have taken out your camera, took a photo of it, took it to be developed, brought it back and put that on your wall. It's just we're in that culture now where that, and we have to adapt to that. And there's many different strategies and ways of dealing with that. But ultimately, we need to remember as a as company and for SMEs especially, is remember the old fashioned that. It is easy to send an email in the other way around as well. Like for, when providing customer service to people, we couldn't use a chatbot. We can set, fire out a template email, um, but that's not going to have the personal pro. And so I have this phrase, which I like that is email is for confirmation and telephone is for conversation. So if you want to, if you want to resolve something, you resolve it on the phone and then you can always follow up with an email. And that's the way that it should be. And that will. Hopefully those customers will be, if there's anything issue, any issues in the future, will kind of be in that kind of mindset as well. But uh, yes, yeah, it's significantly increased. And I think, yeah, we just need to roll with it almost. And I think there are systems coming online. I recently I did a podcast with Wesley Baker, who I believe you know. Yeah, I know him very well. And I think that AI will aid a lot of companies because it will provide uh, systems which will head off a lot of the conflict that perhaps occurs. How that's going to happen, I don't know, but we're still in the formative stages, I should think. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's about using it for the right purpose. So if somebody wanted to track an order, AI would be very good at, would be very good at that. And in fact, probably more efficient and quicker and easier than, than a human. If they wanted a simple question, like we said, about baggage allowance on a flight, or uh, if you wanted to know if a particular item is in stock, um, all of those sorts of things, AI would be very good for. But, but we and what we need to do is use this technology, such as, as systems out there, such as Zendesk, which have comprehensive knowledge bases and chatbots, and you can search, type in a question, it brings up a load of articles to then hopefully answer your question, direct you in the right place. But at the same, we can then use that saving of time from doing that to then focus that time into then the actual customer service and customer experience to the customers that need that verbal communication, uh, that need those phone calls. And you can spend that additional time on either business development or areas of the business or um, overachieving and surprising and delight customers, as we've said, sending out a message or bouquet of flowers for their birthday or whatever it may be. And so it should be there as a tool not to take over and to get rid of the customer service human but to make things much more quicker and efficient in areas of the business to free up time for humans to do a more better suited thing, much more valuable for their time. Um, you referenced in the first episode how to deal with inaccurate online reviews. And I think uh, regarding Agarim, and perhaps I'll ask you about that in a minute, because a lot of my listeners will have, they, they repair lawnmowers for argument's sake, and they may get the lawnmower in for to have the blades sharpened. And then the engine goes wrong and somebody goes back and says, you're supposed to have serviced it with a capital S. But I think you had a particular case didn't you, with the, the tire company that you, you said, who, who were a family concerned. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing. The story where the lady took the car in to have the tire changed and um, they changed the tire completely fine, drove off. And then a couple of months later, had some issues with the engine, completely unrelated, obviously. 
And she was then invited to leave a trust pilot view, like all customers are, uh, because it can't be biased. It has to be either everybody or nobody. And then she left a one-star review saying, I'm nothing but trouble with my car since the tire change. I would not recommend. Don't go there. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, we gave a response, public response on there to explain the reasons why they were not correlated. Um, and then we also called the customer, spoke to the customer. She then admitted that she was just angry. She didn't mean it. She understands that it wasn't our fault um, and so forth. Um, but then she said she would take the review down, but it's still there, sadly. The most we can do, um, we did report it. We did appeal it with Trustpilot. But because it was, they, they don't have the facilities to be able to get in the middle and be judge, jury. Um, so they said it has to remain because there's no proof that, that we're telling the truth or it's one of those kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So the best you can do is leave, do what you can for the customer to make sure that they will hopefully come back and use you again and not tell their friend to leave you. Um, and then also um, leave a public response so anybody on there will, will be able to see the full true picture of the story and see both sides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what you're saying is you're unlikely to get any recourse or action from the online review company. Um, it depends on the circumstance. So they have two types of review. There's invited, which means that it's been, the customer's been invited automatically from either a mailing system or you've checked in their email addresses and sent them a, a review invite. Or there's organic where they've just come onto the page and, and left a review. If it's an organic review, um, which means that there's no official tie to the business of using that provide that service or or product then what can happen is you can within the within the platform and click appeal or request more information from the customer and if the customer has they have then three days to come back with proof of purchase and if they don't then trustpilot will remove that um unfortunately in this circumstance she was a genuine customer and she was invited to leave a review uh, it's just the fact that the review is wrong and that's when you get into a bit of a predicament really if we're talking about complaints in general is it your experience that that actually once somebody's had their rant uh, more than often that they've had the rant the steam has come out of their ears and they've calmed down and they get slightly more rational you find that common but others of course just won't let it go of course but, but. exactly yeah that's completely right and sometimes if a customer calls up and they are absolutely furious and they uh, threatening to tra- trading standards or to sue and um, sometimes it is best just to say okay we're really sorry you're disappointed we need to do a thorough investigation we'll get back to you within 24 hours and leave that 24 hours for them to calm down and nine times out of ten when you do speak to them um you'll have all the correct information with you you would have worked out a strategy uh, you won't be panicking because it is very scary if a customer shouting you down the phone or in person you might make a decision you might say something or get your information or your wires crossed or and it could make things worse. So, so don't be afraid of, of that pause of to leave that. And and again, there's if and take that feedback on board. And if there is a reoccurring theme that's coming up, then look at that area of business. And in regards to insight and theme, I would highly recommend any business uh, using surveys such as SurveyMonkey or um, Google Forms um, and conduct regular surveys. So ask a simple question, how did you find the service today? The MPS questions are brilliant. So on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you recommend this business? So nines and tens being promoters, seven and eights being passive, and one to six being detractors. And you can work out how likely a customer would be recommend, but then you can drill into other areas of your business. So on a scale of one to 10 or one to five, how did you rate the website? How did you rate the service? How did you rate the friendliness, the knowledge, um, knowledgeable staff, the quality of the product, the aftercare? Um, and then you can really work on what areas you need to improve on and and take that on board as a, as a as a good goodwill. These customers are 
providing you with incredible information for free. It's not a research or an insight or consultancy company that are going in there and analyzing your business to tell you your pain points. These are customers that are giving you free advice on what to improve so that they will spend more money with you. So it should be taken in a very positive way. And, and so too should goodwill gestures as well. Um, so goodwill gestures, they, a lot of people look at them as negative because it's money coming out of the business. And, um, but again, in the, in, if you offer somebody a voucher, a £10 voucher or £20 voucher, look at it like a promotion, £10 off. It's, we've got a special offer on today where it's £10 off or £20 off or a percentage off. And that customer will then use that and, and let you bite the bullet that one time. And then for the rest of the year, they might come back many times. They also feel that they've got something back because that's the thing with customers. When they are angry and they want to complain, they need to feel that they've won. They need to feel that they've beat the system. They've beat the math. They've got what they've wanted. So a very small goodwill gesture will go a long way to making them feel that they've accomplished something and get them to use. And ultimately, it's, we, it's a return tool as well. We, when I used to work in the restaurant industry, we could tell that if we sent somebody a £25 meal voucher for a bad experience, they would come back and spend 70 and on that next visit. And they would not have done otherwise. It's actually generated 50 quid's worth of sales. And that £25 voucher isn't actually worth £25 cash. That's probably worth about seven or £8 reality cash um, to the business. And, and then they'll continue using you for the next year and spend another three, £400, whoever knows. So, so yeah, utilize insight and goodwill gestures. That'd be my advice on, on customer feedback there. Don, can we talk now about dealing with abusive customers? Luckily, I don't think it happens too often, but their actions can be out of all proportion to the total number of customers and the total number of business. And they can be highly disruptive to the business itself and, of course, to the staff. How do you deal in face-to-face situations with abusive customers? So the best way is to try and give them that time to rant, to scream, to shout. A bit like a child, if they're having a tantrum, that you cannot reason with them at that moment. You have to let them have their tantrum and then start to offer the solutions. And, and you can go through many channels. So you can start off quite mild um, and offer a solution to this and that. If they are incredibly abusive, obviously, ultimately, the staff and business needs to be looked after as well. The, the poor people that work there need to be protected as well. So you can, uh, don't feel ashamed to, to explain to a customer if they have, are having a detrimental effect on your business, they are not a customer anymore. They are, they are an abuser. And if they are being aggressive, they are not a customer. They are an abuser. So don't feel ashamed to ask them to leave or to um, ask them not to shop with you again or whatever it may be um, if it gets to the critical point that is. But ultimately, to get before, along the way and before you get to that point, it's a case of trying to understand what they want. And as we talked in the last episode, the three types of, types of people and about how they would explain their issues. So understand what their issues are and, and try and offer a solution within reason. That's there. And, and trying to give Peter and Span as well and explain the reasons why something might have gone wrong and the challenge that, that that have caused that, and also what you can do in the future to stop that happening again. Customers, they generally like to be apologized to. They generally want something back, and they want to know it's not going to happen again. That's generally the, the three things. So if you can nail all of those, and that, that should calm them down. And like I said, ultimately, if, if they are just being aggressive and abusive, then don't be afraid to ask them to leave. And again, you've touched on this earlier, but getting complaints can often turn into a positive outcome, can't they? Yeah, it's actually a proven fact that if somebody goes to a, an area or product or service and they receive a standard service that they expect, they leave with a certain level of satisfaction from the company. If something has gone wrong and it's been corrected to a really high standard, 
they actually leave with a higher impression of that business. So when something goes wrong, it's not game over. It's not doom and gloom. This could be a good opportunity to turn it around. And there's been many, with lots and lots of data that have shown that complaint, complainants have been turned back into fans, have higher expectations of the business than if things had just gone smoothly from the start. So that's, so don't fear that. That's going to be, that's going to be a really good utilization. And again, use, like I said, goodwill gestures and, and so forth to try and, and encourage that. But yeah, take, embrace complaints and, and yeah, turn those people back into fans and, and they will. Yeah, I'm right. I had a personally once I was in London and went to a restaurant. It was a terrible experience. We were waiting at the door for half an hour. They forgot our orders. The food was all wrong. But ultimately, they were really good. They offered us a round of drinks. They offered us back for a return meal. They gave us a dedicated waiter that evening once they realized they'd made the mistake to ensure that nothing went wrong after that point. And now that restaurant, I go there all the time, even though it wasn't that special. If I'd just gone in there, had a standard meal and left, I'd probably have forgotten I'd even been there. I probably won't even remember it now. But because of the way that it went wrong and was recovered so well, um, it's now one of my favorite restaurants in London. <laughs> oh, yes. And there's the old saying, isn't there, Dan, that if they get good service, they may tell one or two people. That if they get bad service, they, tend, they, they will tell what, eight or ten people. I don't know yeah, where it's the metric yeah, for it's, that. It's about, it's about triple. The ratio is about triple versus good versus bad. So, yeah. But again, if you resolve it, then that comment about your business can be a positive one to neighbours and friends, presumably. Exactly. And that's like that story that I just told you then. Obviously, I haven't named the specific restaurant, but I've told that story many times. And I've been in my life to probably hundreds of restaurants that have just gone as you'd expect. And I've not mentioned them at all. So recovery is a key thing. So if something does go wrong, providing you're empathetic, sympathetic, sincere, transparent, genuine, then that's the best tactics to have. And like we said in the first episode about if you're going to be late to meet a friend, for example, treat your customers like like they are a friend or family member, not a number, and being sincere. In them. And if they're treated like that, they will respect that because, like I said, the expectations have significantly gone up now. Everybody can send a template email and a £10 voucher in an envelope. But, but who can, like Amazon, for example, is click here, click that. There is no personal touch. So for these SME that we're talking to, you do have the power to have that personal connection with companies. Um, these big companies just physically can't anymore. So there's your USP to, and Enpl will use you for that, not just of when it goes right, but the insurance of knowing that it'll be sorted when it goes wrong as well. And what about staff, training staff? Again, most of these businesses do not have HR departments. Uh, they're family run and owned. And complaints are personal to them. Mm. They're, and they're often a member of a pillar of a local community as well. So really any complaint is really taken on the chin and personally by all the business owners. How do you, um, how do you encourage staff also to deal strategy with complaint and, and issues that might crop up, Dan? It's quite it's easier said than done, obviously, but it's <laughs> to try and take yourself out of, out of it and look at it in a way, look at it objectively, as in here's the facts here's the customer here's why they're unhappy so for example if they're unhappy about the color of the wall in your reception and it's your favorite color and you spend hours painting it with love, tender loving care and the customer say it looks terrible then just take that that's what their thoughts are don't take it personally and whatever the complaint may be and so it's about ed firstly educating the team members to be empowered to be able to resolve complaints make them feel that they can They've got the tools to hand that they can resolve it rather than saying, oh, I can't do that for you because our computer system says no. Ultimately, all, all computer systems and ordering systems or service systems, whatever they are, are built by humans, so a human can change it. 
So the answer that the computer says you can't is is, impo- is impossible. That's not possible. That's not the case. To empower them to use what they can use and, and find those nuggets that they're empowered to use and give them empowerment. And once they've got that empowerment to be able to make decisions and make complaints, uh, resolve complaint, then again, not to take it personally and take it as a constructive feedback rather than a complaint. I, I think that's a better phrase, like we said, because if, if a lot of customers are saying that the wall is, is the wrong color, well, they don't like the wall, regardless of whether you think it's nice and you spent hours doing it, if the customers don't like it, they're the ones that are keeping the lights on. So you need to take that on board. And would you say that a lot of these companies have not hundreds and hundreds of staff, but certainly one, two or three or dozens or two dozen staff, is it a good idea to empower them and tell them what their parameters are to fix problems? Because if the boss isn't there and the boss is on holiday or their immediate manager's on holiday, um, they ought to be able to, they can't leave things, can they? And they may well just be somebody who works behind the parts counter or the shop desk and they get a customer. Do you need to empower them within certain parameters to be able to deal with that customer? Exactly, yeah. And it's about making sure that everybody knows where they are to make that service better. So for example, I with a large restaurant chain in the UK, about 500 restaurants, they they had some service issues and I came up with a campaign which was make every customer feel special. And that could be related to any part of the job. For example, a waiter or chef, very easy for them to make the customer feel special, they're customer facing. But in finance, how can that person working in the finance department make the customer feel special? Well, simply, if we overcharge someone, Instead of it taking three to five days to get that money back to them, could they devise a process to get that money back to the customer on the same day? Marketing, for example, they don't work directly with customers, but could they make the T's and C's clearer in the promotion so that a customer's not disappointed when their voucher gets rejected? So it's about empowering all of the people in their individual areas about what can they do, have a think about what they can individually do today, what they can do tomorrow, and what they can do long-term to make their part have a knock-on effect to other areas to then ultimately make the customer feel special and, and make the customer better. And in regards to complaints, is there anything that they might be able to assist themselves with resolving a complaint that somebody else is picking up? And then thirdly, some people are better with customers and better with people, and some people are very technically minded. So embrace those strengths and weaknesses. If you had a whole football team full of uh, defenders, you would lose. If you had a whole football team full of goalkeepers, you would lose whole football team full of attackers you would lose and you need some attackers some midfielders some defenders some goalies and put it all together then it works and use those people to their strengths and if there is a couple of people that are really good with with customers then then use them to that degree i remember when i used to work in the supermarket when i was back at university about 15 years ago this is i was very very good at the customers but i wasn't so good at filling up the shelves so my manager made sure that i was in a much more customer facing role Whereas other people were very quick and very easy at unloading the lorries and filling up the shelves, but they hated talking to people. So it'd make no sense to put me in the warehouse, put them on the shop floor. That would just be the business set up for failure. So with your staff and your team members, understand where their strengths and weaknesses are and make sure that they're in the right place. And if they're in the right place um, that they feel happy with, they'll be much more productive in those individual roles and be able to provide expertise um, to greater the business and greater the customer experience. You work in a number of businesses and a number of sectors. Uh, today, you run your consultancy, which I think is really called a customer experience consultancy. When you get called into a business, is it because they've got a high level of complaints or is it they just want to tighten up their customer connections, if you like, the way they deal with customers and bring in social media 
So there's a couple of areas that I kind of work in. So one was a tire garage that wanted to be digitalized. So have an online ordering system, have SEO presence, reviews and things like that. Another company, um, they're an e-commerce company, buy and sell things online. Um, and they grew um, about 10 times, um, kind of double where they started off with 10 grand a month, 50 grand a month, 100 grand a month. And it grew ridiculously quickly in three years and just needed to um, up the customer service game. So I worked with them to improve their MPS score, the CSATs. I looked through all their processes and ironed out some processes to make it more efficient and ultimately improve their ticket turnaround time from three days down to two hours um, and things like this. It was fintech clients. They were a US company. They wanted to launch an investment app in the UK and um, they wanted to understand customer behavior in the UK so that they knew what to what product to sell. Um, so I did a lot of market research and around customer behavior and then third um I was, i've worked with hundreds of clients but i'll just give you a few examples i've, I've tried to be varied uh, another one was a big insurance company one of the biggest insurance companies in the uk and they they knew that their brokers were leaving them and they wanted to know firstly why their brokers were leaving them secondly how to get them back and thirdly how to keep them so again we looked into all the different areas communications channels were was it too difficult for them to get hold of the department they wanted to get hold of was uh, they not being supported enough were they not get the information for their clients quick enough, thus causing them headaches and lost business. And so again, it's customer experience is captured in a huge realm of things. So I work with, like I said, big investment apps, tire garages, e-commerce firms, insurance companies. So yeah, a very big, but ultimately, if you've got a product and a customer, regardless of what that is, then there's that bit in the middle that needs to be um, working optimally and actually to as working as well as it possibly can. And that's where I where I fit into to optimize that customer experience. Excellent. On the show notes to both of these episodes, you will find a link to Dan's company. And on there, there are a number of scenarios and case studies and different types of customers that um, you discussed today. Uh, Dan, can I thank you once again for your time? It's been most enthralling. There's lots of nuggets of information which I think probably apply to pretty well every business and nothing's unique uh, is it no of course not and that's another thing i just wanted to add as well is that i feel it's, it's, it's important for people to share their knowledge around and share these nuggets of information one one company might discuss something that they do really well that could help another um so for that reason like i said on my website dapcx.com so dap consultancy is my company dapcx.com there is a knowledge base on there with uh, lots and lots of articles which i've written which elaborate on all of the points that we've come across. Um, you can access that for free, read them for free, take whatever hints and tips you want for free. Um, and that's all there on my website as a gift to everybody. Oh, fantastic. Once again, Dan, it's great to catch up. I've certainly learned a lot and you sometimes unlearn things and you forgot some, forget some of the basics sometimes because a lot of it does come down to basics, doesn't it? Many thanks indeed. I wish you well with the rest of your business and certainly thank you for joining me again. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, so much brilliant advice there from someone who spent his life in customer-facing roles. Now, none of it is rocket science, just plain common sense and good practice. So thank you again, Dan, and do get in touch if you would like to share your customer stories and how you dealt with them, for I know there are many intriguing and inventive solutions that dealers have employed in the past. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is a new episode from the AgriTurf Academy show.